0: I'm Laura London, and this is the return of Speaking of Jung. Joining us today for episode ninety is Jungian analyst and filmmaker Luis Morris in Zurich, Switzerland. Originally from the south of Chile, he attended Texas A&M University in Corpus Christi, where he completed his undergraduate work and earned a master's degree in clinical psychology. He then went to live in Lagos, Nigeria to volunteer for Doctors Without Borders in a program against AIDS. Following that experience, he spent six years in Paris before moving to Zurich to study Jungian psychology. After nearly six years of training, he graduated from the International School of Analytical Psychology, known as ISAP Zurich, as a Jungian psychoanalyst. Currently, he is pursuing a Ph.D. under Professor Roderick Main, in the Psychosocial and Psychoanalytic Studies Department at the University of Essex in England. His research focuses on postmortal phenomena, Jung and his psychology. In 2016, he founded Blue Salamandra Films, a production house dedicated to the creation of films that relate to the works of C.G. Jung and analytical psychology. Their short films include People from ISAP Zurich, featuring the diversity of the Institute's members, and Mercurius Center Visiting ISAP Zurich, in which students from Nanjing, China, went to Zurich for a month to learn Jungian psychology. Their full-length films are Jungian Speaking, available as a nine-volume DVD set, and Thomas Kirsch in Conversation with Murray Stein in the Home of C.G. Jung, which was also made into the book a Jungian Legacy, edited by Luis. It includes contributions by Jung's grandson Andreas and Jungian analysts John Beebe and Andrew Samuels. In October, Luis will be presenting de Weltanschauung, Jung's Thoughts on Soul and Death After the Red Book, a postlude lecture for the Zurich Lecture Series hosted annually by ISAP Zurich and Chiron Publications. This year's lecturer is Professor Roderick Main, who will deliver the undoing of disenchantment, mystery, meaning, and metaphysics in the work of C.G. Jung. Luis will also be presenting at next year's Conference on Film and Analytical Psychology, taking place May 20th through the 22nd at the Yugoslav Film Archive Museum in Belgrade, Serbia. Speakers include Jungian analysts Kiara Tosi, David Hewison, and Murray Stein. Luis will be presenting on Jungian psychology and Stanley Kubrick. Please visit the website speakingofjung.com, where you will find links to everything discussed in this episode in the show notes. This interview is being recorded on Monday, August sixteenth, two 2021, through the magic of Skype. Thank you so much for joining us today, Luis.
1: Thank you, Laura. I'm I'm honored. Uh, I'm very happy to, to be here.
0: So let's start at the beginning. As I mentioned, you are from Chile, and you are currently living and working as a Jungian analyst in Zurich. So I'm always very interested in how people get to that place to... To change locations and careers and, and and to wind up in Zurich is, is got to be such a long road. So what can you share with us about that?
1: You know, I, I suppose that like for many other people that have come to Zurich um, to study, um, it is a, a mixture of, of things. Um, uh, and and for me, um, I think that um, I, w- I I I was lucky <laughs> I met, uh, often in my life, and I was lucky uh, also to find myself um, uh, or being able to 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 listen to myself at the right moment or, or an important moment, I suppose. Um, when I, w- without going into too much detail, uh, when I was. 16, um, I left uh, the, my, my hometown Concepcion and, and went to live in Santiago, the capital of Chile. I was given a scholarship at the time um, because I was a tennis player and um, um, the federation of my country thought that I could, I could be a professional tennis player and, and they gave me a scholarship to go and train. They were wrong though. <laughs> I never became a, a, a professional tennis player. But finding myself alone um, when I was 16, uh, for the first time in my life, really, um, created something in me or allowed something to open up in me, to flourish, in a sense, within me. And probably because of the solitude, I was able to, to listen to it. Um, whatever it was, whatever, um, that thing that was flourishing inside, um, pushed me as it were to, to, to pay attention to things that I never had paid attention before in my life. Um, I became interested in, in religion. uh, And I started visiting cathedrals and and the Buddhist monastery, um, and different religious um, places in Santiago. I started to read about religion, um, I became, uh, uh, interested, uh, in, in questions like, uh, death and, and God, and all these questions that, you know, teenagers can have, um, but n- maybe not always listen to them. And, right. and because I think that, yeah, because I think that I was alone, uh, I, I was absolutely taken by these questions. Um, and <clears throat> I just want to say there is this, this book, uh, The Adolescent Psyche, um, written by Richard Fran- uh, Frankel. Richard Frankel from, uh, I believe that he's Canadian. He's a union analyst. And he wrote this book, The Adolescent Psyche. And um, I, I mentioned this, this uh, episode of my life when I was 16, because uh, Frankl describes this, the changes of the the adolescent psyche, the changes that the, the adolescent goes through um, that can be as powerful as uh, what Jung would describe as the midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what happened to me, uh, something just, was born within me and and I listened to it. And that made me realize that I was not going to become a tennis player. Um, not only because I wasn't good enough, (laughs) but also because there was something else that needed to follow. Uh, and luckily, um, I, I had some offers from different universities in the United States to go and, and and play for, for them. And, um, by the time I didn't speak any any English or uh, or any other language besides Spanish. Um, so I decided to uh, go to a small uh, university. So I went to Laredo Community College. and um, and that's how I left the country um, uh, hoping to study um, something related to theology or literature or philosophy. But it started there. It started when I was sixteen, and and it started when I something just came from within.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, how did you happen upon Jung?
1: Um, when I was in in Laredo, um, and, mean, uh, like and I, said, I just want yeah. to jump
0: in here? You mean Laredo, Texas, right?
1: Yes, yes, Laredo, and, Texas. Laredo,
0: Texas, yes. and by play you mean you were playing tennis at school.
1: Right. Yes. I mean when I was in in Santiago um uh, trying to become a professional tennis player um when I realized that I was not going to become a tennis player um at the same time um I started to receive offers from uh, for scholarships in the United States to go and play tennis for the universities. And in and they would give me uh, a full scholarship or tuition and fees or something like that. So I could go and play and study. Okay. So when I went to Laredo, Texas, that's, that's what I did. I, they, they gave me a, not a full scholarship, but they gave me enough money so I could go and play for the school, but at the same time get an education, mm-hmm. but since I didn't know any English, I, um, spent most of my time at the library, um, learning the language. Uh, and it was through a librarian, William Wisner, um, that I discovered Freud, and I started to read Freud, and I started to uh, to get interested um, in psychoanalysis. And uh, when I finished and I graduated uh, from Laredo, and it was time to move on to another university. <clears throat> I discovered that there was a Jungian analyst not too far away from Laredo in Corpus Christi, Texas, and I decided to visit him. But as I was going to plan this visit and meet with this Jungian, who I didn't know what Jung was or anything like this, he was close, close enough to Freud, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a book before the meeting um and the book was uh murray stein's jung's map of the soul and 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 that was that was it i read that and everything made sense to me yeah uh i, I read that book um at the cent- after that i also read um jolanda jacobi's uh the psychology of segi jung and and it was it. It was clear uh, for me from that moment on I was very young, I was probably 18, 19, I knew I'm gonna I need to go to Zurich I need to go and uh, I need to study psychology right now and one day I'm gonna end up in Zurich because this is it it just, Murray's book and how he described uh, Jung's uh, worldview completely made sense of of uh, how I had experienced what I had experienced when I was 16 completely made sense of where I come from and how I kind of understood life at the time and and still today um and I didn't understand everything that was written in the book mm-hmm. um but somehow I it was it was clear it was yeah. clear to me that that, that was it <laughs>
0: I've gotten some uh feedback from some of the younger people uh, who were introduced to that book Jung's Map of the Soul by Murray Stein because of the interest by BTS. And they'd say to me, well, I don't really understand it. And you don't have to understand. It's very difficult material, especially Mm -hmm. uh, for a young adult. Um, Mm -hmm. But I love how you knew that it spoke to something deep within you and answered some very deep questions that you had. And you knew that you wanted to pursue Jungian psychology from from the age of 18. And you did it.
1: Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I... I
0: did. (laughs) You did, and so you uh, went on and got your master's degree uh, from Texas A and M. And what happened in Corpus Christi in in clinical psychology? And then what happened after that? You you did. So you just you went to Zurich. How did that
1: happen? Um, Well, from I I guess when I graduated. from from Texas A&M, Christie, with the masters, I knew that I had to leave the United States. Um, for me, it was very clear that uh, there are many things that I like about the United States that have very important people in my life are are, are from the United States. um, but, but, but I'm not from there. And I always felt that uh, mm-hmm the it, this was not the culture in which i could spend a lot of you know time and i wanted to i had the possibility to discover something new so i i left to to nigeria uh to Lagos. um and once i was there i volunteered for uh Doct- doctors without borders and, Frontières. and um um I didn't only do that, I did other things, but after some time about seven months after or so, I, I had to to leave uh the country. I didn't have a visa anymore. Um, and it wasn't, you know, that easy to leave in, in in Nigeria, in Lagos, it's it's a dangerous place also. I mean, I loved it. I loved everything about it. Uh, it changed my life, but I had to go. Um I would have stayed longer if I would have the possibility but I, but I had to go and then I, I went to France. I went to, to France and, and um, spent some time in, um, in some towns in Chino, uh, the town of Francois Rabelais. and then I moved to Paris where I lived for about um, uh, yeah close to close to six years, five to six years. And I was working there also in in the tennis world. I was working uh, with uh, Patrick Moratoglu, He's the tennis coach of Serena Williams, and I was I was working in the academy for for him, uh, coaching um, young talent. And then um, after a couple of years, again I realized that uh, even though I, I I liked it very much, I knew that this, I mean, I knew that somehow. Uh, This was not my path, and um, I started to read again um, Jung, and I started to attend to Jungian lectures in Paris, and and I started to wonder about eventually uh, studying or not Jungian psychology.
0: So after you left the United States and you went to Nigeria and then you went to France, you were not working as a psychologist even though you you had a master's in clinical psychology you were experiencing the world in other ways
1: correct i mean um you know one one of the issues with uh, with getting a master's or or a, or a bachelor's degree in psychology in one country is that um, these degrees are are pretty protected you know yeah. by by each country so uh, not because I had a bachelor's or a master's degree from, from the US. I was going to be able to work in Paris or, uh, in Chile for that sake, you know, or here. Um, so I had to find ways of, um, of surviving mm-hmm. <laughs> basically, you know, um, and tennis has always been there to help me out, do what I wanted to do. Um. Uh, in life, so I, I, like you say, I was experiencing life in, in another, in a different way. And I was still too young maybe to start right. studying, you know, uh, training, I mean, to start training to become an um, analyst, maybe not, but um, but I just wasn't able at the time.
0: And so you then kind of found Jung again, you said you were attending lectures and in Paris, and and you decided to train at ISAP Zurich. And I'd like for you to tell our listeners a little bit about ISAP Zurich. I mean, we've had guests on the podcast before uh, who are from there, but I'd like to hear your perspective of coming in to – to train there as not a native of Zurich, because I I'm, like I mentioned in the introduction, you actually had made a film later on about the diversity of the people who train there. So I was right. wondering if you would tell us a little bit about that for people who are not familiar.
1: Right, I, I mean, um, you know, uh, m- making the decision to come to Zurich was um, in a, in a way difficult to to do, but um, because you know Zurich is uh, is a is a difficult place to live in terms of uh, you know it's so expensive. Yeah. So and changing my life because I did I changed my entire life to come here um, it was a very difficult decision to make. However, once I was here, just you know things simply unfolded. Um, uh I guess because I was, you know, I, I was following that that voice that I felt when I was sixteen, you know, or mm. or when or that voice that I felt when I when I read Mary Stein's book. I guess really that's the reason why things worked out for me. And and coming to, to ISAP uh was kind in a way was extremely easy because not only what I was studying was what I needed to study, what I felt that it was um, what my soul was asking for, but also because um, of the, the immersion that we all, that all students go into. Um, I could have studied in Paris. Um, you know, uh, there was a training institute there. But I knew that I personally, and this is not for everyone, but I personally needed to come here and to fully, fully immerse myself in in studying Jung. And um, and all the students, our eyes have, uh, not all, but the great majority are from you know, places that are not Switzerland. Are, we have Swiss students too, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know what are the percentages, I have no idea, but maybe 10% or know, 20%, I don't know, but the great majority are from outside. So uh, relating to other students was very easy uh, because of the kind of international experience and the openness, you know, the openness to, to hear from my culture or my openness to hear from someone from China or from, you know, Egypt, what have you. Uh, But also because at the same time, we're all here for the same kind of reason, which is to not only just study Jungian psychology from an intellectual perspective and to learn the theories and all that, but to go through an experience ourselves, you know, at least that's the way I, you know, lived it. So it was, again, the difficult thing was uh, making up my mind about coming. But once I was here, it just, and since then, uh, Laura, I must say, things just been, Kind of unfolding, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, It hasn't been um, always an easy road, but it's been, I think, what I had to uh, go through.
0: You had to go through, and uh, I like how you mention wanting to be in Zurich because. my preference with this podcast is to interview uh, the classically trained Jungian analysts or the Zurich analysts, because I know that Jung told people things privately. So there are some things that are not in his published works. And so that's one of the things I love about the Zurich analysts is that they tend to know these private stories. <laughs> because yeah, they train with people who Trained with young or mm-hmm. our second generation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, why is it? While you were in training, that you created Blue Salamandra films. How did that come about?
1: Um. um well, uh, you know, I didn't know much about films until uh, I, in Paris I was um, exposed to uh, m- making. <clears throat> films and a good friend of mine, uh, Frank Guillemin, um, uh, was and is a, a filmmaker. And we started doing commercial films, um, for, for this tennis academy that I was working for. And I completely felt in love about everything about filmmaking, it was, um, uh, I loved everything about about audiovisual work and, um. Um uh, since I arrived in Zurich, I always thought or dreamt about doing something on you know with films and and union psychology, and there is so little you know right That's true. there is so little that is that has been done there are some stuff that are, that are done some some are very good and and um so I thought yeah i I absolutely need to need to do that and um and at the time that I created blue salamandra. Um, I was still a student and, and we had all these senior people, um, ISAP, which we still do. <laughs> and I thought, you know, uh, we need to have some sort of record of yes. these people. Um, and, um, I, I presented this, um, you know, this idea to some people, one of them was Mary. And, um, and wow, it was received, you know, with so much enthusiasm and, you know, I mean, you've worked with Mary so much, you know, he was like, Oh yes, we need to do this. Yeah. So great idea. And, and, um, and I kind of, you know, followed what I wanted to do. And it was, the idea was received again with so much you know, support that, that I went for it. And I, I, that's how it started with this series, um, of of seven of seven films. Um, and then um and then it, it kind of evolved into other other films too. So was Jungian
0: speaking your first really major project with Blue Salamandra?
1: Yes, it was. Yeah, that's how that's how that's how it started. That's yeah. how it
0: started. Okay, so it is a series of interviews with Jungian analysts and kind of reminded me of one of my biggest inspirations, the Remembering Jung series that was done by Suzanne and George Wagner in Los Angeles. But those interviews were done back in the 70s with really the first generation analysts. And so these are current training analysts at ISAP Zurich. They include Catherine Asper, Peter Amin, who's been a guest on Speaking of Jung, Paul Bruchin. Thank you. John Hill, Bernard uh, Sartorius, Andreas Schweitzer, who I met in Zurich. Uh, He's still currently the president of the Psychology Club. Murray Mm -hmm. Stein, Ursula Ulmer, and Ursula Wirtz. So they are available only through Chiron Publications. There will be a link in the show notes. You can purchase them separately or as a set. And I have them. They are beautifully packaged. They are beautifully done, and I want to thank you for creating them. How long did it take you to do those nine? The did the interviews and then the all the editing and oh, yeah, yeah, that, a that, couple that, of years.
2: Okay, I, wow.
1: Yeah, it, it took me a couple of years. It took me a couple of years to get the ideas together, to get the money to do it. You know, that's always the difficult part with right. uh, filmmaking. Um, Uh, I was lucky because I, I I got a sponsors that could help out with the production. Um, and also selecting, you know, um, and you know about this, selecting who you're talking to, who you're going to make a film, uh, that was very difficult because, um, I knew, I mean, I knew all of these analysts, uh, but I, I know some others (laughs) from ISAB, you know, um, but, uh, The most important category for me was that they are at least 70 years old. That was the the, the criteria, the main criteria. And then the second criteria was, of course, that uh, they would um, be willing, of course, to to do this. And they would be um, uh, willing to share their their stories, which is, again, not always something
2: um,
1: that is easy to find, as you know.
0: It is not easy to ask a Jungian analyst to speak publicly, because it's going to be recorded. And then with the internet, everybody in in any part of the world can access it, right? And so we feel quite exposed talking about personal, deep um, subjects that are meant to be contained. So it's not an easy thing to do. But I find it necessary if if we are going to, as Jungians, have a a, a presence out there to, for others to know we exist, because here in the United States, pop psychology is is everywhere. I was at Whole Foods, standing in line to check out, and Psychology Today was in the amongst the the magazines there, and I was yeah. I was just a little taken aback by it. So. We've got to speak publicly. We have to; uh, otherwise, no one's going to know we exist.
1: You know, as I was sharing with you before, before we started um, the interview, um, I don't think that it's that easy for for a lot of people to speak because, um, yes, we. I, I guess there is uh, this possibility of being too exposed, mm-hmm. and. Um, and that that is not always comfortable. Um, I think this is the first time that I'm sharing um, what I shared with you earlier about my background, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I, I guess also the the other reason is because of what I what I what I was mentioning to you about you know an important part of. Um, uh, of analysis, it has to do with transference and allowing the person to imagine who we are, you know, it's, uh, it's also important. And I guess another reason is because, you know, we are not maybe that, that, I mean, we wonder how much can we, can we really impact other people through our stories? I mean, you know, that's, I guess that's a valid question. Um, how much how are people going to get inspired really or, Um, by our personal biographies you know i mean our personal stories i i that's i guess that's also an important question Mm
0: -hmm. i think it's huge i'm i'm always inspired when i hear a Jungian analyst it's such uh, a unique profession it's such a long road and it's so much Mm -hmm. work and every single one of you inspire me i can say that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah So, so i'd like to now mention the other uh, long feature film that you produced it is titled thomas b kirsch in conversation with marie stein in the home of cg young and this is very very special so i'd like for you to tell us about that and then the book that ensued after it
1: yeah um well that um that is uh, th- that yes i find it also special simply because of tom uh um, i i met tom in uh, in copenhagen i believe in 2013 an international conference um and he was talking about a book that he had published and i i fell in love with the man uh from the moment that he was talking the way he moved, the way he dressed, his jokes, his his smile, um, I was completely taken uh, by by him. Um, and uh, years later, after having done um, Union speaking, I knew that he was coming to Zurich to give a lecture at ISAP. and. Um, Uh, As soon as I read that, I immediately thought, okay, we need to make a film of him. Uh, I didn't know much about Tom and who he was and the story and his, his parents and all. I didn't know really, to be honest, but I just knew that I needed to make a film of him. (laughs) And as I started to, to, uh, talk to Mary about, because I got married into the project, um, I started to read about him and read his books. And I was like, wow, um, there is so much to, to learn from this man. And um, and we asked Andreas Jung, the grandson of Jung, whether we could make um, an interview and a film um, of Tom talking to Mary in his home, in the home of, of, of Jung. And um, uh, Tom was a good friend of Andreas and, um, and he accepted. So we had, really the privilege, uh, to, to, to go to Jung's home and, um, before the interview and during the interview and, and Andreas was so kind and he opened the doors and and, and trusted me, uh, with my crew to go there and to basically film whatever I felt that I wanted to. To film and uh, and that's how it started and then a communication we started a communication with Tom and with Mary about the questions and about all that and and um, and we did we did the uh, the interview in the July no June 2016 the year that Tom was turning 80. Tom died a year after that, or maybe a little bit more than a year after that. Mm. um, I'm not fully sure. Um, But, um, yeah, I I feel that I I was so lucky to be able to have, I mean, to have met Tom and Jean, of course. She was so supportive.
0: His wife, yeah.
1: Yes. Uh, So supportive of of this and 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 um and and she was also so grateful to me i mean the, what she expressed to me after the film was done and after the book was published um you know when when we when i started when i decided to edit um, a union legacy tom kirsch uh the book um i asked all these people you know John Beebe, um, Andrew Samuels, uh, Tom Singer, Murray, they all jumped into the project. They all said, yes, absolutely, let's do something for Tom. Let's do something about Tom. Let's write about him. And um, how he is seen from this book is very similar by, by all these authors, you know, as someone that is extremely intelligent, yet at the same time, extremely humble, dedicated his entire life to analytical psychology helped so many people and um like myself was a tennis player (laughs) so um yeah it was just an incredible experience um to to meet tom and to and and to have worked with him in this film and and later
0: um, in this book Just to give a little bit of background for the listeners who might not be familiar with Dr. Kirsch, he was a psychiatrist trained at Stanford University and he graduated from the Jung Institute in San Francisco in 1968. But his parents, both of his parents, were first generation Jungian analysts who were analyzed by Jung and trained by Jung, James and Hilda Kirsch. And you filmed this, uh, you... You didn't interview Dr. Kirsch. You had Murray Stein interview Dr. Kirsch in, yes. in the, the family home, Jung's family home, which is now open as a museum. When I was there in 2015, which was a year before you filmed this, it was not open to the public. So I have right. yet to be inside. But, uh, Andreas Jung, as you mentioned, Jung's grandson a- allowed you guys to, to film there and you filmed inside Jung's library where right. yeah in the in the preface to a jungian legacy you point out it was where 100 years earlier jung had worked on the red book you said without a doubt this was the place to have these two senior jungian analysts speak with one another in this place i felt the spirits still dwell
2: <laughs>
0: so that must have been a really powerful experience and the, the book that you mentioned, there are full color photos in this book. It was published by Chiron, and we're actually going to be giving this book away on Twitter. We give away a book every Friday, and this week uh, we are giving away A Jungian Legacy, Tom Kirsch, edited by Luis Morris. It includes contributions by John Beebe, Andreas Jung, Jean Kirsch, uh, Luis, Andrew Samuels, Yong Shen, Thomas Singer, and Murray Stein. And we do the giveaways on Fridays. I think I'm going to be starting the giveaways earlier in the week. All you have to do to enter is to retweet my tweet and follow me at Jungian and Laura and Chiron Publications at Chiron Books and just simply retweet the tweet. And then I use a random number generator. On Fridays, usually late in the day, I've been doing it in the early evening to pick a number, and that number retweet will receive a copy of the book.
1: That's great. You're doing
0: that. It's through the generosity of Chiron Publications, and then Inner City Books and Fisher King Press also contribute books to the giveaway as well. You also produced a couple of short films for ISAP Zurich. Uh, One is titled People from ISAP Zurich. It is six short films in which you feature individuals from different nationalities, professional backgrounds, and religions who went to Zurich to live and study and learn Jungian psychology. And Those, I think all of them, are available on ISAP Zurich's YouTube channel, which I will provide a link to in the description. And would you like to say a few words about people from ISAP Zurich?
1: Sure. Uh, um, This was a little project um, that I was, uh, it was a lot of fun to do because I, uh, together with people from uh, from ISAP, the, the president of ISAP, Deger, uh, we uh, decided who could be there um, and the idea in a sense is is to sh- is to show uh, like you say uh, the diversity uh, of the people that come to isap uh, diversity not only in terms of nationalities but also in terms of their background and interests. Um, and I try to ask you know each one of these individuals to to share with me something very personal which again is not always easy to 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 ask for and to obtain but i think that they all kind of um you know uh, they all agreed and 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 and, and presented a, a very personal yeah. uh, thing of them and I, I i really liked what what came out of these kind of clips that I,
2: that I did. They're
0: very beautifully done. As I said, they're all available on YouTube, on ISAP Zurich's YouTube channel. And the other short film is when a group of students uh, from China, from Nanjing, China, came to Zurich for one month to spend time uh, with the analysts at ISAP Zurich and learn Jung and Jungian psychology.
1: Right. Yeah, that was that was also uh, kind of fun to do because uh, I got to follow this group of I don't know how many there were probably around twenty um, students that that um, came and I believe that they come uh, well with this COVID situation maybe it was interrupted but they were coming or they were about to start coming regularly. Uh, I mean regularly meaning um, uh, once a year or twice a year for about a week or ten days and. They were um, not only experiencing uh, the city um, and, and all, you know, all the uh, Jungian places uh, like Bollingen and, and Jung's house, but also they were every day following um, uh, courses at ISAP. So it was like sort of intense week, uh, right. as you were, uh, at ISAP. So it was kind of fun to follow, um, follow these students
0: and again, that is also available on ISAP Zurich's YouTube channel, which I will provide a link to in the show notes. And I'd like now to turn to a lecture that you will be delivering. It's uh, one of the postlude lectures for this year's Zurich lecture series, which takes place every year uh, at ISAP Zurich. It's um, produced in conjunction with... Chiron publications and in fact last year I interviewed uh, Mark Sabin who was the uh, Zurich Lecture Series presenter in 2020 I believe or maybe it was 2019 Uh, yeah and
1: 19 yeah last year we couldn't do it because of COVID
0: and so this year Roderick Main uh, will be presenting and would you explain yeah. to us what the Zurich lecture series is?
1: The, the Zurich lectures is a is a conference is a uh, in which there is a guest that come um, to give a series of lectures over the period of two days, um, and after that there is always a postlude in which there are um, uh, different Jungian analysts from ISAP uh, teaching teaching courses related to what the speaker was uh, teaching. Um, And um, it usually starts uh, on a Friday um, uh, with a a gala dinner uh, here in in the center of Zurich. And then we move the next day um, to a room in which the presenter is is giving lectures uh, the whole day of Saturday. Uh, on, On a Sunday, there is usually an excursion um, uh, the, an analyst from from ISAP is is given, um, and then Monday and Tuesdays are the lectures at ISAP given by analysts from ISAP. It is usually a very short but very familiar. Very, it is a great opportunity to get to to meet people uh, to get to meet uh, analysts uh, from ISAP. Um, it, it, it can become quickly very intimate because uh, we are all seated together. And we have an aperitif uh, also together. And it's just, it's a very, very nice conference. I I really like it.
0: And it includes an excursion to Jung's home, which we had mentioned earlier, uh, in Kusnacht, his big family home there. And that is on Saturday, October 2nd. And then you're providing one of the postlude lectures along with Bridget Egger and Scott William Heider. Yes. And you will be speaking on Jung's thoughts on soul and death after the Red Book, which is your area of interest. You are currently working on your PhD, and this is what your research revolves around. So sort of a long roundabout way to get here, but I know that a lot of the listeners are interested in what you have to say about this, about Jung and his views on death. And chapter 11 of Memories, Dreams, Reflections is titled On Life After Death. It's nearly 28 pages long, and there is a lot in there
1: yeah well um you you're right um you know i guess uh, the topic of life after death um is was a very important topic for jung um to the point of having an entire chapter dedicated to that theme in his so called autobiography um you know, this is a this is a this is a theme that runs throughout his life. Um, he, he was born, as it were, um, uh, in an environment that he, uh, that was um, full of stories about ghosts. Uh, his mother would speak to uh, to dead people through mediums his uh, Jung's grandfather was you know um, also known uh, for speaking to he, the spirit of his first wife. you know the, the period in which Jung was born um, the late 20th century uh, was is, was a period of ex- extreme openness to um, studying things like life after death, and Jung was not an exception. Um, um, so, for example, in his Sophia lectures, um, these lectures that he gave when he was at the University of Basel, um, he Jung uh, was part of uh, a fraternity called Sophia, and when he was 22 years of age. Uh, In this fraternity, he gave uh, four lectures. And one of them, the second one that was given in 1987, was called um, Some Thoughts of Psychology or Some Thoughts on Psychology. Jung was only 22. And already in this lecture, uh, he says something uh, of the sort, the soul is independent of time and space, and um, and he said that there are sufficient reasons, therefore, to postulate the immortality of the soul. He was only 22 when he wrote that. Um, of course, in his memories, he was at the end of his life when he was editing these with Yafe, um, and. <clears throat> writing. He didn't edit, but he was uh, dictating, and Jaffe was writing, later editing. And um, so you could see, I say this because this is, you know, one of some thoughts of psychology is probably, I mean, the second published paper that we have of Jung, and his autobiography is, you know, one of the last ones. And throughout the enti- his entire life, we see on and on these theme uh, that is present, either in letters or in, um, in professional writings, and that's what I am trying to, uh, to study, to research, is what was he thinking about this? Um, did he write anything that is, um, that, was, um, that is clear, that we can say this is what he thought, this is what he didn't think? um did his um thought about um uh, the immortality of the soul evolve um and that's what i that's what i'm yeah uh, very very interested
0: uh. and i attended uh professor sonu shamdasani's webinar uh back in june on jung on death in the Black Books, and he said that according to Yafe, for Jung, individuation is a preparation for death. And I was wondering uh, if you had anything to say about individuation as a preparation for death.
1: I would, you know, I would definitely agree with that. Um, um, after the Red Book. Um, Starting in 1927 um, until about 1934, um, in different places, um, Jung, I, I believe, uh, and I and, and I'm like to argue that Jung is presenting his more mature thought on life after death. And um, if um, you look at some of some of the papers during this period, Jung uh, is repeating that the, the goal of life is death. Um, that whatever we are doing is preparing for that moment. And he's not saying that individuation is a preparation for death. Uh, he doesn't write that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you pay attention to these different Um, texts and speeches that he gave, uh, um, it is clear to me that this is what he is aiming at, or this is what he's not aiming, but this is what he's implicitly, implicitly saying um, that, uh, indeed, individuation
2: um,
1: and, and analysis is nothing but a preparation. I don't know if it's nothing, but it is a preparation for for, uh, for death. It is a preparation for the soul to continue its journey. But of course, this is a, a very bold statement and mm-hmm. um, it is absolutely, um, you know, um, the, 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 the issue with Jung is that as he writes that, you know, you can very quickly find in another text um, uh, the same person, the same Jung, saying, um, "I cannot say absolutely nothing, uh, you know, about life after death because we are limited by ego consciousness. So it is like speaking about God. We, you know, we cannot talk about this. So, and this is Jung. Uh, you know, you you have on 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 the one hand he can say one thing to a certain amount to certain public, but you can find." almost the opposite the statement in other papers, or to speak or to, speaking to an, another audience. And, and this is difficulty uh, with, with topics like life after death, uh, because uh, even though it is a very consistent theme in his life, um, he dedicated, um, he, it is not an organized topic that he wrote about. So you need to go in different places and, and look for what his thinking is
0: one of the things i i noticed is that jung experienced a lot of death in his life i mean his mm-hmm. his father died when jung was 21 and then he experienced the death of his mother when he was 48 his sister when he was 60 freud mm-hmm. died when he was 64 tony wolf passed away his wife emma passed away oh, yes, yeah. so he he i mean he outlived them all but he he did have a lot of experience with, with death. And then another thing I wanted to mention, going back to your book, A Jungian Legacy, Tom Kirsch's wife, Jean, wrote the foreword. Right. And in it, she said, it is as if Tom's individuation process, which had seemed to unfold by a larger plan in the final 18 months of his life, mm-hmm. has continued beyond death. And that reminded me of something that was bandied about a while back: is does individuation continue for a person after death?
1: Right. Um, well, you know, um, again going back to Shamdazani, he would claim uh, he would claim that Jung. Um, not only play with that idea, but he 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 would agree with that idea. And if you read um, on life after death um, in memories, um, that is kind of exactly what he Jung is pointing at. Um, if you read that that chapter, um, <clears throat> you probably you remember that he mentions um, um, that. Um, dreams have helped him to create a an idea or a conception about what comes after the death of the body Mm -hmm. and he um, he mentions the dream of a client of a patient of his and in the dream it is this woman uh, that little uh, short A short time before her death, she dreams that she goes into a room where there are all these people waiting for the lecturer to give a lecture. Um, And she sits down among these people, um, something like that. I cannot remember the dream perfectly, but she sits down and then she realizes that she is the lecturer. She is the person that is supposed to give the lecture and everyone is uh, anxiously waiting for her. Um, from that dream, Jung, and then this this woman, shortly after that, she died. From this dream, um, or using this dream, Jung argued that it is only the living that can obtain more um, awareness. It is only us that have the capacity, us meaning us, the living, that have the capacity to grow consciousness. And it is the dead that are waiting, like in this room, waiting for for the newly dead person to come and tell them about uh, their his or her new discoveries, as it were. Um, and, and Jung plays around with this idea, as he does also with reincarnation, in, in, in that chapter from memories, but but he is, uh, uh, like Shamdazhan is saying, he is absolutely uh, playing with this idea of individuation continuing for a certain amount of time. Okay, that is important. Uh, for a certain amount of time um, uh, after death. And it depends on the living. How much the dead the newly dead at least can learn
0: so this is still something that you're working through this is not an easy subject and you will be presenting what you have during this postlude lecture for the zurich lecture series in october Uh, jung's relationship with the dead and uh, you you mentioned something i like you mentioned that and you, you touched on this in the beginning that Jung came from a line of people who were very interested and practiced communicating with the dead. And if we were to do that today, and there are people who do that today. I have a friend who, mm-hmm. who I did have on this podcast earlier this year, whose wife passed away in 2015, and he wrote a book with her after she passed away. Yeah. And he's a New York Times best-selling author, Whitley Strieber, and he says that they wrote the book together. It's called The Afterlife Revolution. I don't know. Yeah. I I'm I'm very undecided on 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 all of this, um, but I'm very open to hearing what people who are researching it have to say. And it seems like it's a big topic now.
1: Sure, and I, I, you know, I. I of course we need to be careful while we're speaking about this because it is such a delicate topic. And I I would like to add that I am, I am not saying that Jung was convinced of a life after death uh, um, or that he had a, an idea of, uh, of life after death. But I, but from, From my research, it is pretty clear to me that throughout his life, not only was he very interested in the topic, but that he had an intuition about it and that he created, he formulated and reformulated later in his life, a psychology that um, sort of accommodates the question is: there life after that? Um, in uh, you, you can make this this question. You, uh, yes, you can make this question in his psychology. It is possible because of the psychoid synchronicity and the Unus Mundus ideas concept. Because of these later reformulations, it is possible through uh, his psychology to at least ask the questions. So. I, uh, I believe that that's what he did. I, I I'm not saying that he did these reformulations because uh, of his intuition about life after death, but
2: mm-hmm. but
1: uh, but it seems to me clear that his psychology allows you to yeah to play around with that question. Mm-hmm.
0: I love how Jungian analysts always remind me that it's about asking the question and not necessarily. About coming up with an answer. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that reminder. And there is something, uh, else I'd like to mention. Uh, we were talking about memories, dreams, reflections, and the Philemon Foundation is currently working on publishing the original protocols for that book. Um, right. I think it's been delayed. And there is a, uh, an interview which I mentioned in the beginning that what inspired me to create the podcast was was the Remembering Jung series of interviews with the first generation of analysts. Yeah. And Suzanne Wagner interviewed Anila Yaffe, who, Mm -hmm. what would you say her role was in Memories, Dreams, Reflections? Did she actually do the writing? Uh, Jung dictated to her and and she wrote the book because Jung didn't actually pen the book himself, right?
1: Uh, I, you know, I, I I I answer with hesitance because I I haven't researched enough about it. So uh, my 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 answers should be um, uh, should be not taken as uh, as something that I know for sure. But my understanding is that Jung did write the first four chapters himself. Okay. And after that, um, he dictated uh, Anil Um And it was Anilayafe who was writing the rest of the chapters.
0: The rest of them,
1: okay. Right, and later editing them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and um, and there is also, Shandazani wrote a, a paper, um, but I cannot remember the name of it, but he wrote and he researched on, on this. And, and, and one of the things that he found out was that um, Jung insisted on making this a book of Anila Yaffe. He, he was not fully happy about the idea of, of creating an autobiography, but rather, rather making a biography by Yaffe of Jung. Mm-hmm. Um, that is my understanding. But again, I think that um, if people really want to find out about it, um, I can give you afterwards, the name of that, um, of that uh, article in which uh, Sonu Shamdasani is um, writing about it much better than than what I'm saying myself now.
0: Yes, I will put a link to Professor Shamdasani's paper on memories, dreams, reflections in the show notes. Oh, and I have asked Robert Hinshaw, who owns the literary rights to Yafe and is also working with the Philemon Foundation on the publication of the Protocols. I met him when I was in Zurich, and he has agreed to do an episode with me on Speaking of Jung after Great. the Protocols are published. So we'll get to ask him all kinds of questions about that. Great. But one of the things I wanted to mention uh, in the Remembering Jung series that Suzanne Wagner did with Anila Yafe is that she mentioned she had heard stories that there were certain parts of memories, dreams, reflections that were not allowed to be published, things about reincarnation that were not right. included in right. the final draft of the book. And Yaffe said no, that that wasn't true. And she said that uh, the only things she cut because as you mentioned she edited the book uh was the chapter on africa she said because it was too long and it would have taken up the whole book um but she really shot down uh, dr wagner's suggestion that there was something about reincarnation that was not included in the final draft so we'll see we'll see when when the protocols are published
1: exciting eh? to know that the protocols are coming
0: yeah. And I know that people are interested in what Jung would have to say about reincarnation. And as you said, there isn't any one publication of his that we could read about it. We have to find things here and there in the collected works, in the letters, and in other places to find out what, what he really thought. And did, did it change throughout his life? I know it's changed throughout my life uh what I think of life after death uh, I am very far afield from where I started on on what i think
1: yeah that, that's an interesting question uh, did it change um, that, that's a very interesting question i'm not sure i'm not sure meaning that I really don't know um, you know like I said to you um um when he was only 22, mm-hmm. um, in the Zofinga lectures, um, he wrote that the soul is independent from time and space, you know, uh, uh, which is, you know, in a sense, you know, very similar to what he's saying uh, uh, later on uh, in his um, uh, theory of synchronicity, you know, right. that, that there is a part of the psyche uh, Mm-hmm. That is um, uh, relativized, as you were, uh, from time and space. So, and these are exactly this, these words, you know, time and space mm-hmm. that he's using in the relativization of time and space. Um, I, I I I certainly don't know. I I, uh, um, I believe though that uh, he, the Jung, uh, again, did have an intuition about the continuation of some sort of existence. Um, you know, um, I'm not sure whether in that existence there was an ego, um, for example, in, in, in his heart attack visions, you know, when he was 44, he broke his foot and then he ended up having a stroke and spending uh, quite a bit of time in, in the hospital Uh, and during that period he had different visions and that that is another chapter of memories and in these visions he experienced basically a near-death experience Mm -hmm. and he mentions how in this experience um, um, everything is detaching from him Um, who he was, uh, was detaching from himself, he's getting close to to death as he's approaching this rock, where there is a a, a Hindu, I believe, Hindu um, person meditating, and he's about to get to, to, um, to know the ancestors and to learn, uh, or or to find out all the questions that he was having, something of that sort. And then, and then his doctor comes, um, in his primal form car and tells him to come back to earth. In all this process, basically of dying, he's still there. Somehow his, his ego is still intact. Mm. We don't know what happened if he would have gotten into the rock, you know, right. and entered the rock, but, um, but during the entire process, he was still there, his ego. So, you know, whether ego consciousness continues after that, we don't know. And I don't think that he was able to answer that question, but he certainly allows the possibility of some sort of existence to continue. Um, um, I believe um, in his psychology, at least it is possible to, to see that. Um, uh, after the death of the body.
0: Next year, in 2022, you will be speaking at the Conference on Film and Analytical Psychology that will be held in Belgrade. It was postponed, I think it was originally meant to be held in 2020, last year, is that right?
1: That's right, yes. And because of COVID, it had to be postponed, yeah
0: and now it has been rescheduled for May 20th through the 22nd and you will be speaking on Jungian psychology and Stanley Kubrick. One of the things about Stanley Kubrick is his fascination with evil.
1: Right. I I love what uh what he what he has done um and and um from so many different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um um you know knowing a little bit about uh filmmaking I can only admire what what he did. Uh and um and from my psychological perspective, you know I, I believe um that um that he has so much to offer to um to people that are looking for archetypal uh, expressions in modern art. Um, I think that Kubrick was profoundly interested in individuals and and, and particularly in men. Um, And not only in men, but I think that what he was really after was the internal forces that can drive people to do one thing or another and um and I think that he was extremely interested uh, in in the force of evil and destruction, and how men can become possessed mm-hmm. by it mm-hmm. um, when he was uh, in the process of making um, um Full Metal Jacket. Um, he was interviewed um, by the Chicago Tribune, and um, and I looked for this quote because I knew you were going to ask me. Um, and and uh, Full Metal Jacket is a film uh, about the war in, in Vietnam. Uh, and and uh, as he was asked about. Uh, you know, what this film was about and and, and a war and evil, Um, Kubrick said, and I quote, I suppose the single improvement one might hope for the world, which would have the greatest effect for good, would be the appreciation and acceptance of the Jungian view of men by those who see themselves as good and externalize all evil. Mm. End of quote. Um, he, I, I think, I mean, not only, I mean, obviously Kubrick was interested in Jungian psychology and, and he read Jung and he quoted, um, I mean, he didn't quote Jung, but he spoke of Jung. Mm. Um, and I don't think, I'm not, I wouldn't go as far as to say that he was influenced mm. or that his films are influenced by Jung, but certainly I I think that in, when he was reflecting about his films. Jung was in his mind and the idea of shadow and the idea of evil. And in, in what I'm going to speak in Belgrade, it it is a combination of all, of all that. It is how he, I think Kubrick is exploring in a very artistic way. uh, In an artistic way, he's exploring, um, not only the shadow, but evil, you know, in men. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's doing so not only because of the stories that he decides to put uh, on screen, but also by his cinematographic choices, the way he's filming, the way that he's choosing to um, Mm -hmm. to frame a certain scene and um, whether it is. Barry Linden or you know, um, Ranch, or Full Metal Jacket. Um, I think that this is a theme that runs throughout his work: uh, men and men's relationship with uh, his shadow and uh, uh, and evil. And uh, yeah, that's what I will be trying to to talk about in Belgrade. Excellent. He he also said something else. I have another quote, by the way. Oh yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, he. Um, this is in another interview that he was done by the Observer. Uh, I think that he was also done um, because of Full Metal Jacket. Uh, jacket in 1987, he said, "quote We are never going to get down to doing anything about things that are really bad in the world." until there is recognition within us of the darker side of our natures, the shadow side. End of quote.
0: Yeah. I was watching the Charlie Rose roundtable on YouTube with... Uh, The woman that he was married to, Kubrick was married to for 42 years.
2: Yeah,
1: Christiane. Christiane,
0: yes. And Jan Harlan, who made the documentary film about the life of Kubrick, Mm -hmm. and Martin Scorsese. Sure. And Scorsese said something he said about Kubrick's films. He said, they touch you in areas that you don't want to be touched sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm and and yeah uh, uh when i sit down and relax i just don't want to be touched there so and and his wife talked about feeling uncomfortable watching these films and feeling uncomfortable as, as if that that was a good thing and it is right they're provocative
1: oh yeah, oh, yeah.
0: so i want to thank you for your time today Luis.
1: oh well, thank you it's been really uh, a pleasure to talk to you and um, and I thank you for for doing this this is this is great that you're what you're doing
0: Please visit the website Speaking of Jung that's j u n g.com for more information on everything that was discussed in this episode there you will also find all of the previous episodes of this podcast which are available to stream or to download for free This podcast is also available on Apple and Google Podcasts Spotify and Amazon Music and it will be available later in the week on our YouTube channel, Jungian Laura. You can also listen to this episode on your Amazon Echo device, simply by saying Alexa, play speaking of Jung on Apple Podcasts. Just be sure to pronounce Jung with a hard J. Links to Amazon's new Echo devices can be found in the show notes. With special thanks to Chiron Publications and ISAP Zurich, this is Laura London. And you've been listening to Speaking of Jung.